When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is your favorite Valentine, Galentine, or Palantine a hard-to-shop-for book lover? Good news. You can give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or a year-long subscription, and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we will match your Valentine, Palantine, or Galantine up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. Plus, you can schedule the gift to be delivered to your loved one's inbox on Valentine's Day, Galentine's Day, or whichever day you want. No waiting on shipping delays. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine. So when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, where we love to talk about romance things, romance landia, things that happen in romance landia, and the people who do them. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we are recording on Thursday, February 4th, 2021. This is episode number 76, and we have some things to talk about. <laughs> we do indeed. I think, uh, yeah, some, some, some good, some less good, as is. Basically, that could be the subtitle of When in Romance most weeks, I feel like. <laughs> yes. Some good, some less good. The good, the bad, and the complicated of romance. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we dig all the way in, I do want to do a quick shout out. Um, huge thanks to Kara, who sent us their romance origin story, which is actually fairly similar to mine. I won't go into the details because I don't have Kara's permission, but we do appreciate getting that. And then we also heard from Michelle, who made kind of an interesting point about Bridgerton, despite not having actually read it or watched the series, which, to be fair, Michelle acknowledges is a little bit of a strange place to be to make a point. But the point that they made was that it it has definitely inspired a lot of discussion around male sexual assault, which particularly, I think, Michelle, being a person who has no Bridgerton experience, was still a part of and absorbed. And that is, I think, an interesting point. It's, you know, there are a lot of pieces of this that are happening, and we've discussed a few of them. And uh, there are even more that we have not discussed. But the idea that we are actually having a more robust conversation about male sexual assault than we might have otherwise is certainly something that is a part of that context. So Huge thanks to Michelle and Kara for uh, sending us a note. We appreciate it very much. 
So yeah, I don't know. Just uh, any other follow up that I am not thinking of? Um, we've we're still catching up with um your requests for recommendations about various things, whether you've sent us DM or openly tweeted or Instagrammed at us. Maybe I don't know. Feel free to continue to send those. We yeah. might get back to you right away with some ideas, or we might need to um, wait until the next podcast as we ponder on them ourselves. But we love to hear from you, and we love getting requests for specific things from you, not only because we love to tell people what to read, but also because it makes us really work the noggin and might open us up to some things that we hadn't thought of or that we might actually want to read now that you've mentioned it. Yeah, I think that's a great reminder. Actually, we will be discussing later uh, a question that someone had and some recommendations around it. And as you said, we don't get to them always in an expedient way. We actually have a running list. So if you have tweeted or Instagrammed at us, uh, which is my new favorite way (laughs) to describe Instagram. So thank you to Jess. And we have not necessarily responded in the in the show. Don't think that we have forgotten you. You are in our our show notes word Google Doc. So we'll get to them all eventually. But sometimes the news just takes over. And we'll be getting to a little bit of that in a moment. But maybe before we do, Jess, I will hand it over to you for an ad spot. Thank you to Book Riot for sponsoring this podcast. Did you know Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every single day. Get the Riot Rundown, our roundup of the new content going up on bookriot.com every day, or our new books, exclamation point, newsletter that compiles a list of the week's most exciting new releases and comes to you every Tuesday. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery and thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. All right. Well, Jess, it's been a while since we have had a Nora Roberts story. It has. But we have a Nora Roberts story. And I gotta say, I don't think as a particularly, you know, 10 years ago or so before I was reading romance. I don't know if I would have been so grateful to have a Nora Roberts story as I am now. (laughs) I don't think I fully appreciated the gloriousness that is Nora Roberts. So let me let me explain the story. And then we can we can maybe share some thoughts about it. So Nora Roberts's book, Brazen Virtue, which is an A plus 100% top-notch name for a romance novel. It's a romantic suspense book. It is being adapted into a feature film. All of that, normal. Sure, everybody's on board. The film is going to star Alyssa Milano, who some people might remember from Charmed. Some people might remember from Who's the Boss. I'm sure she's done a lot of other things. Those are the two things that I know. She seems like a lovely human, but she is openly liberal on social media and has put those views out there. And not all of Nora's Roberts fans were real happy about it. They had some some feelings. 
I will link to an article from Maureen Lee Linker from Entertainment Weekly that kind of goes more into detail and links into uh, some of the, you know, specifics of this. But there was some pushback. And let me just say, Nora Roberts was not here for it. (laughs) Uh, Nora Roberts was simply and sincerely appalled is the uh, quote from her Facebook. There's actually a fairly long Facebook page that the link is embedded in the Entertainment Weekly piece. So we will we will link to that. But I mean, there's a mention of burning books and First Amendment rights. And it's all just delightful. She mentioned specifically that, you know, she and this is a quote, by and large, I keep politics off my pages. That's my choice. Now, many readers have dragged their own onto this page. So I'm going to state for the record, I'm a liberal Democrat always have been, always will be. And as one, I believed everyone has a right to their political beliefs and has a right to express their opinions, but I do not have to tolerate insult and ugliness on my page. Uh, and then she goes into like, First Amendment things and people who are artists. And like I said, Nora Roberts is not here for anyone's nonsense. <laughs> and she does not care whether or not people have strong feelings and don't want to watch this adaptation. She doesn't care. She'll be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she yeah. will survive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Watch the movie or don't. And like, she does not care. That like, She actually says that. Watch the movie when it comes out or don't. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. I don't know. I uh, I feel like this is one of those things. There, there are certain avenues. Certain sports are like this. I feel like certain music genres are like this. People are sort of have this idea that you can keep politics out of culture and art Mm -hmm. and i don't know that that's really true like is it unfortunate that things like inclusion of all people regardless of their gender or sexuality or race or ethnicity or ability level or body type is it unfortunate that it is political to write happy endings for all of those people yeah it absolutely is but that doesn't change the reality that that's kind of where we are. Yeah. And I don't know what's been happening. Well, I do know what's been happening over the past year and a half and the last four years and everything else. It seems like Nora has had to come down from the throne to give a nice word slap to somebody a little more often recently. Because, okay, so for those of you who don't know, Nora Roberts does not social media. She has no. pages and her staff basically do all of the work most of the time until Nora herself needs to speak. It'll be a blog post on her website or a lengthy post on Facebook that is also cross-posted to the blog on her website. But she does not speak as herself because she's busy writing seven books a year or whatever. Um <laughs> Yeah, a completely massive number that she writes between her different names and types of book. So like, I feel like there was a long time where we didn't really hear much from Nora Roberts between like, some absolute ridiculousness happening at RWA and then like Deborah last year. (laughs) There probably was more, but it wasn't something that needed to be spoken upon. But Mm -hmm. I guess people are just, like, trying to come for her and not realizing who she is because she is Nora Roberts. And even though I 
as a reader, do not read all of her books because there are so many other books in the world that it's hard to just stick to Nora Roberts. I understand her position as one of the most influential people in romance. And the fact that she was able to do this and just say, one, stop, two, leave if you want, three, Alyssa and I will both be okay. It's so important (laughs) that the current country as it's made up and the world, like she's an international writer, but a lot of the stuff that's happening is happening in the US. Um, like is so strangely made up that people would think that Nora Roberts cared that you were <laughs> against the casting of Alyssa Milano, who yeah. doesn't care. Like, it's just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's true. And I will say, I mean, like, you are right. She is not just one of the most powerful people in romance publishing. She is one of the most powerful people in the book industry. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that she's one of the most powerful women in culture at large. Yeah. And she seems to recognize, and I appreciate this about her. I mean, it's maybe should be expected, but I appreciate that she recognizes that she has a responsibility to speak up when Mm -hmm. this kind of thing happens. Because you're 100% right. I mean, she's, you know, probably part of the reason that she can write. 50, 100, however many books, is that she doesn't spend a lot of time on social media, which, good for you, Nora. We appreciate it. Yes. But she also has had many advantages just based on the fact that she's a white woman. Mm-hmm. And I think her speaking out in this kind of way or in, you know, related to the RWA situation or other places are her recognition of that. And you don't necessarily have to give her cookies for that. But I do. There are other people that do not do that. There are other people that have maybe not as much power as she does, but a good amount of power uh, who do not. And so I think it's, you know, it's a good thing that she is the person who's in this powerful position because she's, you know, uh, willing to do that. And and also, let's be honest, she actually do- does not care. Like, she's not, <laughs> that's not all talk. She doesn't care. It's not gonna, like, this is like, a rounding error. Like, these people who either watch this movie or don't is a rounding error in the Nora Roberts bank account. Yeah. Right? Like, let's be very clear. But she doesn't have to do it, and she does. And although, like I said, you know, nobody's going to give her a, a Nobel Prize for that, I think it is worth noting that it's it's less than nothing. I don't know, I guess. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe I'm being a little bit hard. Uh on Nora, but I do I do think that she at least seems to have some understanding, which a lot of white women of who I, I am also a white woman do not always recognize that advantage and, and she seems to at least get it, which I appreciate. Yeah. And there are also white women who do not get it <laughs> all the time. And granted, most of us, most of them, are significantly less wealthy than Nora Roberts. Mm-hmm. But also, it would be great if people could try a little harder, just be like a little more aware. We were reminded of that this week when there was some discussion on Twitter of a book that features two 
black characters who are written by a white woman. And it seems that author and that book, it was not clear to people that that is what was happening. I don't know, Jess, this was just kind of a mess. It was a mess. And it was the fact that it wasn't clear that was really what started the conversation. Because honestly, you go ahead and write your book about whoever you want. And I will go ahead and see what work you did to write about them and make sure that you're being transparent about all of that. But if you are going to write a book about people who are not like you, who are from a marginalized identity, and you mask your identity, <laughs> we're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. So that was that was what started the conversation. It was like this really adorable book cover that definitely drew me in, but not a lot of clarity about who wrote the book. And then it was revealed who wrote the book. And then that person was not successful in her defense of all of the things that she did in the process of putting the book online, and then eventually taking it back off of the internet. So like I said, I know that there are people who are going to continue to write about people who are, who do not share their identity. And that is a perfectly fine thing to do. <laughs> I can choose not to read those books because I prefer to read books by people of those identities most of the time, or that at least share an identity of one or two, or however many, of the marginalized people in the book. But I know who those people are, and that's that's a, a big element of that, whether it's romance or a big literary fiction book or whatever. And I know that that was a conversation from a while ago that we will not go into. But <laughs> yeah, so I think that's, that was a key thing. Yeah, and I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this, because I, I think for me, it's not even entirely writing outside of your identity, because I think at some point, it would be great if we could get to a place where people with the use of a lot of input, a lot of experience, and a lot of research are writing perspectives outside of their own in romance, right? I think I think ideally, that would lead to more representation. I think for me, a lot of what is, it, it's hard not to see this as opportunistic. Mm. Because we have been long overdue, long overdue for Black authors and particularly non-male authors in romance who are people of color, who are marginalized people, who are Black authors, to get some attention and get some sales and get some book contracts and get some money. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that that has happened ever, it has happened more, I think, in the last year. There has been a lot more focus on reading different perspectives and reading different kinds of characters. It still is not nearly enough, and we have a long way to go. Uh-huh. But given that there has been a focus in that way, and it's Black History Month, and, you know, like, it's... <laughs> it was the first day of Black History Month, Trisha. Yeah. I... And it just... It feels... I mean, 
good intentions are not enough. I'm not even entirely sure there are good intentions, so we'll come back to that in a second. But (laughs) good intentions definitely are not enough to kind of capitalize on the one time in all of publishing history that there might actually be slightly more than none, slightly more than negative of goodwill (laughs) toward Black authors. And I think that is part of what makes this hard to kind of manage. And I also think it's kind of, you know, as you were sort of saying, Jess, it's not only is there a transparency issue, because if you're going to be writing outside of your experience, not only do you need to be transparent, you need to be wildly transparent. You need to be very clear about where you did your research and what kinds of experiences you are drawing on and who you talked to. But I think the and the the name of the author is Isabella Starling. We're not going to link to the book, but because I don't even know if it's still available to purchase. And even if it is, we can give you a million other books to buy instead. <laughs> but I, I think the response to people calling out and saying, hey, you were not transparent here and you, this is blackface, was very, I'll be very honest again, as a white woman, it was very white lady. It was very like, hey, listen, I don't know if you know this, but I am doing my best. And I was very nervous about this. And I wanted to, you know, represent these different experiences. It's just like, it's a, just the response in and of itself indicates to me that this person has not done their research and has not actually tried to figure this out. Yes, absolutely. Because you do not defend blackfishing by saying, I was writing from a perspective that I didn't see anyone else doing. No, that's wildly stupid. (laughs) No. It's just... Yeah. And, you know, and like I said, I've been thinking about this a, a fair amount lately. I read a book recently, and we may end up talking about it. But my only hesitation around this book that I liked very much is that there's a supporting character, a trans supporting character in this book, who plays a, a fairly important role. And to me, as a cisgendered person, the portrayal of that character seems fine. Like, it seems like it was handled with sensitivity, and that there are not issues. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that my experience reading that character is not the same as a trans person reading that character. And so I need to understand. And again, it's a secondary character. It's not a main character. And and I do think that more of that representation belongs in books. Mm-hmm. I need to understand, though, that someone who has that perspective and someone who is reading it from their lived experience feels also like it was handled in a way that is appropriate and not otherwise. Because it's not that we shouldn't have characters of all kinds of people in books, but it needs to be done in a way that is sensitive and is well-researched and is clear and well-understood. And I I just don't feel like that's the case here. Yes, absolutely. The correct response to your book doesn't have anyone besides cishet white people, allo cishet white people, is not... Well, I tried to write about different people and people got mad at me, which I've seen before, not just in this situation, but yeah, in other places. And uh, the answer to that is obviously, well, if you had done it right, and uh, I cannot tell you exactly what doing it right entails, because I do not write about people outside of <laughs> my my marginalization because I do not write about people at all. Um, the, if you approach it 
in a way that isn't, I'm going to do this wrong, you might do it right. So that is my very sage, very clear, very obvious, very direct advice to mm-hmm. anyone who is uh, thinking about writing about people. Even if your main characters are both like you. Like, mm-hmm. I notice when I am reading a book that centers two cishet white characters, but that has that sort of broader sense of reality with surrounding them with people who aren't cishet white characters, allo cishet white characters. And I noticed that because it's the world. Like, I know that there are still places where there are a lot of white people who do not see anyone besides white people. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But... Mm -hmm. We're trying to make that better in real life, so maybe try to do it in books. And start to notice it if you're reading them. Yeah, and also, I mean, I think there is space for people to get it wrong. But when you get it wrong, you also have the responsibility to listen and learn. And not immediately just get defensive and double down. Right? Like Because I think if we're going to get there, if we're going to get to a place where books are representative of what the actual world looks like and not just what one person's experience or identity looks like. And I hope we do get there. There is going to be trial and error. Like it's, it's unfortunate that that's the reality, but, but it is. I think the solution to that is just not to stop trying, but it is to stop when you get called out, listen, pull back and try again, but with more sensitivity and more education. You know, I think that's the thing too. It's that it's not even so much that this person tried this thing for me. It's it's that they did it badly. They did it in a non-transparent way, and that when people pointed that very rightly and kindly, frankly, I mean, people do not owe you their education. You know, like they do not owe you educating them about their experience. But they pointed it out. Then you don't get to take the high road. The high road is not open to you there is no high road for you mm-hmm. like that is i just uh, <laughs> i don't know just 2021 here we are still here on this so mm-hmm. i don't know it's only february so maybe maybe by the end of the year maybe things are looking up <laughs> exactly let's see what happens all right any other observations about this book that we again will not be linking to. So I will link to uh, some tweets about some of the discussion that we've been talking about that are potentially, if nothing else, educational for, I don't know, I'll link to them because that's what we do. But uh, any other observations that we should be sharing, Jess? I I will say that what drew me into that was I actually saw a Facebook ad for it first. Like, and it was like, that is an amazing, adorable cover I want to know what this book is about. And mm-hmm. uh, we're just, that showed me that people are really getting into this concept of high concept illustrated covers. And actually, later that day, I shared a different book written by a black author featuring a baker with an amazingly painted cover. It's more than illustrated. It's It's like designed. And... It was a very popular tweet. So people are oh. are into 
people writing about people like that who mm-hmm. share the marginal marginalization and are open about it. <laughs> yeah. And that's I mean that's where the lack of transparency becomes troublesome. Well, problem it becomes just awful. Just don't just do don't it. just stop. Just stop. I know that everyone has a right to share as much of their identity as they want to. But when you're doing it in a specific kind of way that is practically duplicitous, think about it and maybe change your mind. Yes. Wise words from Jess Pride, as always. <laughs> uh, okay, we will do another ad spot and then we will get into something that is a little bit more fun, but also a little complicated. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That's, uh, that's, what, we call, that's what we call a teaser. <laughs> All right. Thank you to Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community for this ad spot. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders. There's short story, novel, and the epic level. And you can try any level out for free for two weeks. The highlight is our group read hosted online, available to all epic members. Each quarter, we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2021 Read Harder Challenge and cap off our read-along with a live chat. Insiders will also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, exclusive podcasts, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. That's insiders.bookriot.com. All right, Jess, what can you tell me about category romance? Category romance. Which I believe is a question that was posed to you on the socials. It was. It was a request from Krista on Twitter a while ago. So thank you for your patience as <laughs> as we uh, made our way to it. And category romance is, is a a phrase that a lot of people hear and might not be completely certain what it is. And what I narrow it down to, basically, is the model presented by Harlequin and Mills and Boone, which are technically the same company, but they operate on different continents. And Mills and Boone might also operate in Canada. And what that means is they are short novels, not always under 200 pages anymore. Although, fun fact, Harlequin novels up until a very short time ago used to be exactly 198 pages, every single one. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I don't know how they did the copy editing for that. (laughs) But exactly. (laughs) Maybe they shifted sizes or something like that. Or maybe it was that thing, like, I don't know. I'm sure I'm the only person that did this in college where you were like, okay, what does font 12.2 look like versus 12.1? Uh-huh. No one will ever know. Side note, they always knew. But I'm sure that the publishing community would never do something so shady as that. Oh, no. No, never. Um, so the way that they – you've probably seen them in a physical bookstore where – They all have, well, they used to all be red, red spines all together with lots of tiny text to read to figure out if you were looking for the right thing. But basically, they have very specific lines for very specific types of novel. So if you're looking 
especially now that Harlequin has done something with their marketing where they have created very distinct uh, styles for their covers. They always have had them, but they're rocking right now. I don't know, like something, something has happened recently. But there's Harlequin Desire, which is always going to be about like wealthy people and shenanigans in Vegas and that kind of thing. There's Harlequin Love Inspired, which is their inspirational line. So it's always going to be faith-based, lots of stuff about the family. If you look at some of the recent titles, they all have children. Um, but <laughs> Which is weird because I feel like those are also the ones with no sex. So somehow it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's Harlequin Intrigue, which I'm not completely certain how it's different from Harlequin Romantic Suspense. There's a specific medical romance line, like all of all of yes. the protagonists are doctors, nurses and medical professionals of various types. Mm-hmm. I had a surgeon bookmark courtesy of Harlequin at one point. It was a <laughs> it was just a man in surgical garb as a bookmark. Oh, that's amazing. Maybe I still have it. If I can find it, I'm going to send it to you. That is amazing. I love that. There is Harlequin Historical. There used to be just like a Vikings line, but I don't know if that exists anymore. Obviously. (laughs) Of course. And then there is like Harlequin Presents, which I had to look up because I was like, what? Why are all of these linked? And those are the royals. Unfortunately, that also means that's where you're going to find all the shakes because they still produce books about shakes. Like, I don't... But anyway, but you also find, like, Italian princes and secret royals of various kinds. They might be having babies or secret marriages or whatever, but they're all royal. Mm-hmm. There's things with weird words like heartwarming and special edition that don't particularly have any theme about them but they're just you know kind of like contemporary romances i think special editions might be a little longer and uh, you know they're very sweet but also not love inspired level sweet so it's mm-hmm. just and the the thing about category romances is it's all in the title you're gonna know exactly what the book is about because mm-hmm. of the title it will tell you what you're in for. Secret Twins, the doctor's surprise bride. I'm pretty sure I've read The Billionaire's Secret Christmas Baby. <laughs> like, I legit think I've read that story. Like, I think that's real. That's amazing. I, I, yeah. I believe you. Like, that sounds... Yes. That sounds right. It might have been twins. It might have been the secret... Billionaire's Christmas Baby Twins. I don't know. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to find it for y'all. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> but, it, like, I love it because I know exactly what I'm going in for. And, you know, they're, they're doing a little bit more with, like, not making it exactly what it what's on the tin. You know, like, waking up married. That could be anything. But sure. it's not like waking up married with my best friend. Like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is actually what happens in Waking Up Married by Reese Ryan, which isn't out yet, but I am looking very forward to reading because I love the bourbon books. But that's that's not right now. That's sometime in the future. <laughs> well, 
I mean, I feel like one of the books that you have on your recommendation list might be similar to Waking Up Married. Yeah, because I don't know what's going on, but Vegas weddings are in for 2021. Well, I mean, uh, we're running a little short on time. Do you want to start talking about the Vegas weddings uh, in particular that you are referring to in this particular episode of When in Romance? I certainly can, because I read Seducing His Secret Wife by Robin Covington. It's the second book in her Red Hawk series, which is the first series by Harlequin that has features indigenous protagonists and is also written by an indigenous author, which is a key thing that we haven't talked about for a while. But if you remember the like savage love stuff from the 70s, you know, that that's this is big. Yeah. And as Trisha hinted, the secret wife was acquired in Vegas. So <laughs> as happens, <laughs> as happens. So what's interesting about this is it features a like tech billionaire. I mentioned the the wealthy people. This is a Harlequin Desire book. And his business partner's sister, but he has never met her. So he does not realize that that is who he has woken up married to until they meet at his best friend slash business partner's gender reveal party for the kid that was part of the plot of the first book, Tempting the Billionaire, I believe the first book is called. So they're married and have to figure out how to not be married anymore. But in the meantime, getting to know each other is fun. So that's Seducing His Secret Wife. And it is a darling book with some kind of messy people who you are rooting for all the way. Yeah. And the first book is Taking on the Billionaire, which is one I really loved from last year. And it's just, to me, One of the things that was so true about that book, and I have not gotten to Seducing His Secret Wife yet, but one of my favorite things about category romance, and this might just be the ones that I read. I don't know. I'd be interested in what y'all think about this, but I feel like they're just very soapy, Mm -hmm. very like plot driven, like very just like I am not going to walk into a category romance and look for a deep experience that will change my soul. And that's not a dig. Like, sometimes we all just kind of need those books. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a lot of what category romance is. And I'm going to give you one by Brenda Jackson that also fits that bill. The book is Bane. It is the 31st. Yes, you heard that right. (laughs) The 31st book in the Westmoreland series. I'm just going to tell you a few things about this book. So it features a Navy SEAL, Bane, who is also a cowboy who has to protect his childhood sweetheart, who is now, I think, at the age of 23, like this big deal scientist who is like created some sort of experiment. It doesn't even really matter, right? Like some sort (laughs) of experiment that is so important that people are after her. And so now he's like the bodyguard Navy SEAL cowboy (laughs) who is protecting the brilliant scientist who is his long lost love. And he's also wealthy, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. The entire family is rich as hell. <laughs> so, like, it's it's just the exact kind of – it's, like, very plot-driven, just kind of delightful suspension of a little bit of reality, but it is worth that suspension. So, I feel – and they're, you know, 
Brenda Jackson's wonderful. You could read any of her books. But I don't know that you are ever going to find the Navy SEAL cowboy meets childhood sweetheart brilliant scientist on the run from I don't even remember who because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just delightful. It is. If you are one of those people that's like, oh, I should have been reading Brenda Jackson. I don't know why I've been missing out on it. Find Bane for yourself. Yes. You will not be disappointed. And and that's like, that is a clear example of category romance as trope-tastic. Like, yes. romance readers, we love our tropes. And while sometimes we want to dig into a 500-page book that has lots of character growth and figuring stuff Absolutely. out on top of the love story that's happening, sometimes we just want a 90-minute movie in book yes. form. <laughs> it can be a big tent. There can be plenty of spade for both. Yes. And one of those, I I have fallen very behind on reading historical romance, I think in part because this year I was like, I don't want to read certain kinds of historical romance. But one era that I cannot turn away from is the Roaring Twenties, ironically, considering we're that's all we've been talking about because of how the Roaring Twenties is probably a reaction to their pandemic. Whatever. We're back in the same place. We are. We might as well lean in. <laughs> Let's lean in. I found a book called The Flapper's Fake Fiance by Lori Robinson. And like I said, it is all there. You know exactly who these people are and you know what's going to happen. And this book is about a young woman. She and her sisters are very sheltered. Their father doesn't really let them leave their home in the Hollywood Hills, but they escape on a regular basis and go dancing in speakeasies. And uh, she ends up sort of witnessing something that she shouldn't and meets a journalist who is also witnessing things that he shouldn't, but he's a journalist, so he's trying to witness those things. Anyway, they have a good rapport and end up telling her father that they're engaged. But, um... <laughs> sure. You know, it's it's not a super long book, so you don't have to draw out all of all of the things that could come from that. So it's a nice, quick, fun read. And her sisters are also in their own books. So there's also that. You get a lot of immediate connection that will let you just keep going in whatever category you decide to read. That is delightful. And before I give uh, my last pick, I want to mention, normally on an episode of Women, Women in Romance, we would not just give you recommendations about cis-hat couples. Unfortunately, one of the realities of category romance is that they tend to be mostly cis-hat couples, yeah. which is kind of a bummer. And we will make sure to do extra queer picks next time around because that's dumb. Yeah, and I'll, uh, we mentioned it, you know, like 15,000 years ago, and, you know, whenever that was, that Roan Parrish's first Harlequin, Harlequin, not Karina book, with two men on the cover was coming 
either late this year or next year. And that was the first Harlequin book that's going to feature a male presenting couple on a cover of a printed book. So that that tells you how long it's taken Harlequin to get this far and how long it's probably going to take for them to get further than having a cis white female author write male romance for them. Yeah, and I do think, and I again, I think this is maybe a conversation for another episode, but I do think we're starting to see some of the outgrowth of category romance. I think Karina Adores, which is like a very specific imprint focused uh, primarily on queer couples, mm-hmm. is part of that. Like, I, I think that they're maybe, again, maybe in a different episode when we have a little more time, we can talk about the ways in which category romance has sort of shifted into being something else Mm -hmm. so i think there is some promise there yeah but it is kind of a bummer that it it took a while to get there but also building on a thing that just mentioned about how you generally know exactly what you're getting when you talk about a category romance book my all-time favorite concept for a book i'm not going to say this is an amazing book (laughs) my all-time favorite concept for a book is called pregnesia (laughs) and of course you know Exactly what you are getting, because I did search it in Google. I reviewed this book for a a different website a while back, and I could not find a medical condition actually called pregnesia. (laughs) So this is basically, as you may have guessed, a situation in which someone who is, again, a former Navy SEAL, who is repossessing a car for one of his friends, as one does, he stumbles across a woman who is calling herself Jane Doe, because she does not remember her actual name. She is pregnant, sleeping in the back of the car that he's repossessing. And she has amnesia. And she's been running away from something. She doesn't remember what. And, you know, there's a lot that happens here. It is very much the kind of book that if you just need to get away from life for like two hours on a (laughs) Sunday afternoon, search out pregnesia. Because Yeah, there are a lot of problems with this book. Why does he not take this woman to the hospital? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Because he just doesn't, right? Like, is he very cranky and the kind of person that you would not want to be around if you were pregnant and, and, you know, dealing with anybody? Yes, of course. Uh However, the fact that the book is called and also is about pregnesia is basically reason enough to at least look into it. And again, very soapy, moves very quickly. I just want you to look up the cover. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to this. And I'm very grateful to who uh, to to the person who sent Jess a note on social media about category romance. <laughs> because it had been a long time since I thought about Pregnesia and the repossession team series that of former Navy SEALs yeah. that this book is a part of. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that's where we are this week. That's amazing. Yes. I forgot about the no- Navy SEAL part. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm the- pretty sure the whole team is Navy SEALs. I, <laughs> mm, it's just a lot. Oh, man. It's a lot. Anyway. <sighs> All right. I don't know, Jess. I feel like we may have done what we can do this week we've done what we can do this week i would love to hear what your favorite category romances are and i know there are some of you who have read 
thousands of them because you can probably get through a hundred or so a year if you really put your mind to it. If all you're reading is category romances, of course. But I, yeah, tell me your favorites so that we can read them. (laughs) Please. Yes. Yeah, a thousand times yes. And you can get those to us in various ways. You can send us an email always at whenandromance at bookriot.com or you can find us on the socials. I am at Trisha Haley Brown uh, on Instagram and Twitter. You'll have better luck finding me on Instagram. And I am on Twitter at Jess's Reading, all one word, and on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. I respond relatively quickly to either one, so check it out. Please do uh, also consider rating and reviewing the podcast. Do not hold Pregnesia against Jess. You can hold it against me, but it's not fair to hold it against Jess or the listeners. Um, It does help other folks find this show. And a huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. And I don't know, I think I thought I had another thing, Jess, but I think that might be it. Jen is the best. So I will also offer thanks to Jen for all that she does. And... uh, All that's left to say is, if you are, in fact, reading, happy reading. Happy reading, everybody. Happy reading.